I'm Fred Faulkner, a husband and father with a passion for marketing and technology. I work at a top 50 consulting agency where I lead alliances and marketing for the digital experience and technology team. On this podcast, I share my thoughts, opinions, and experiences in business and in life. This is my view of the world, according to Fred. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of According to Fred, the podcast. We're doing this one live tonight, folks. It's about uh, 8.30, almost 8.20 on a Thursday night, and we have a great guest on. So I'm excited to bring on. So we have David Armano, who's the Chief Pause Officer at, well, Himself Incorporated. Previously, he was a global digital or strategy, global strategy director at Edelman, Known for his strategy expertise and work with major brands such as Hewlett Packard, Kellogg's, PayPal, United Airlines, Adias, and Hilton, just to name a few. I've been a big fan of David's for many, many years. I'm super excited to have him on the show. Welcome to According to Fred, the podcast, David Armano. Hey, Hi, Fred. I'm, I'm very impressed by the way you did the German enunciation of Adias. Adios, you have to, yep, you have to, right, you know, and it's Porsche, not Porsche, you know, mm-hmm. so you have, to, you have to get some of those correct if they're going to work correctly. So, so yeah, so welcome on. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and spending a little bit of time on a Thursday night with me. Thanks for having me. This is great. And like, of course, we're doing it live. And so I have one of these lights that like attached to the back of your laptop with a suction cup and that fell off. So if the lighting looks off, it's cause I'm, I went to a backup. <laughs> light. So this right. is, you know, this is life in, um, in pandemic age. It is life in the pandemic age. And because it is live and I am broadcasting to YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, we'll see if anyone joins on. And if they do, then, you know, we'll interact with them too. And if not, then we'll just kind of run with what we want to do tonight. So oh, sounds good. Great. So, you know, let's just get the elephant in the room out of the way. You are the chief pause officer at yourself. And that is because I think many of us were shocked, myself included, that earlier this year and around early June, um, Edelman did, they did some reductions because the pandemic hit and it yeah. caught us a lot of, of angst. And you were one of about 400 that were, you know, kind yeah, of Edelman right. alumni. Uh, back in June. So how's the pause been going for you uh, now that it's been several months and what have you been up to? So, I mean, I decided to just, because it was out in the public, I mean, like everyone knew really what was, what was happening. um, I just decided to be really transparent about it. Um, That's why I updated my LinkedIn profile with what was going on. It was pretty straightforward. COVID happened. Um, I ended up getting cut. Um, it does happen in any in- industry. Um, we had held on for a while. And so um, it, what was interesting about it for me was that it, it's the first time I've ever gone through it, which is to, to be, I think, at the stage of my career, you know, sort of in the agency space and you're you're pretty advanced. Um, I I can consider myself fortunate, but also in the same breath, I wasn't. It was it was new terrain for me. So um, I took some time off to just basically catch my breath. You know, absorb everything that was going on. It is definitely um, a journey when you go from moving at at company speed and agency speed and um i mean i had projects right up until the end and then and then you have to basically 
reassess and think about what you're going to do next. But I did give myself some time to sort of take a step back and um, just think about what I wanted to do ne- next. But before I got to that point, I just I just took some time. Um, and so hopped in my car, took my uh, um, son with me. We went to uh, on a road trip to go see my family and some friends and, you know, um, just sort of catch up with life before leaning back in again. And I think that's super important to do. I mean, you, you pretty much laid it out there in that, you know, early blog post that, you know, the stress of being part of any reduction in force or however you want to kind of call it, you can jump back in and say like, I have to get back to work right away. I think it's important even in this whole world of now, a lot of people talk about mental health and how are we adjusting to just now work from home life and just a whole slew of things having the ability to take a pause and say, I'm going to go do some finding some, just walk away from stuff. I think the most important thing that I saw that I made me chuckle, but it was one of those things that I think is super important was you said like work email disappeared. Like all of a sudden, like right that day, like when work, email oh, that was weird. That was yeah. so weird. what do I do with myself I now? Kept, <laughs> I found myself like going to my phone and then looking for the, the mail icon. And right. I, like, I don't have that. <laughs> Right. So, uh, so, uh, so Gmail is going to have to do for now. Right. And you're like, well, what, what am I, you know, when you're constantly in this groove of like, you know, client this, um, you know, work related that approving, whatever it might be, you know, even simple things like time sheets, like that all just goes away. And you're like, yeah. well, and it's such an identity, right? Work is such a big part of our own identity and who we are. And when you just, you have this moment to take a pause, it gives you a moment to really think like, what am I going to do next? And what, what's more important? to me and what I want to do. Yeah. So blessing in disguise, maybe not, I don't know. Um, but you know, getting back into the, the space and, and it's important as well, but doing something that's fulfilling, I think is super important at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And look, just, just to, to be clear, um, I had, it's a bit of an overused word, but I had the privilege of actually being able to, you know, I'm not going to go into details, but, um, one of the things that many of us, not all of us, but many of us in the white collar world enjoy that, that most people don't is we might, you know, we could actually take a little time before jumping right back in. And so that's something that, um, I didn't take lightly. Um, and you know, um, luckily I was, I was able to do it for a little while. Um, and then, then I had to, you know, as soon as summer was over, I had to pretty much, you know, get, figure out and i was like i was doing some of that even you know behind the scenes while summer but i gave myself a little bit of time you know at least a few weeks at minimum to really just sort of decompress and just reunite with my family and friends and uh, my son actually was going through some personal stuff and he went from living with his mom to living with me so we it was sort of like we were both in transition and we were it was like the uh, dad and son version of Thelma and Louise, except we didn't go off the cliff. We just went to the East Coast. Just driving. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, of course, you know, it's hard to let go of everything, right? So I can imagine that you were doing some stuff behind the scenes because it's just, it's who we oh, are. Yeah. It's, it's nature, right? You yeah. just can't turn it off. Yeah. Um, for, for sure. So um, I, I love the fact that you kind of deemed it as chief pause officer. And I think that got a little like, notoriety in the sense of like people who in your network, they were obviously a lot of outpouring of like support for you. But I, the, one of the things that 
I've always admired about you in general because we follow, I follow you on Twitter and, and certainly, you know, we've had in discussions in the past, but the creativity that you have, there are just some things that you pontificate that I just admire because I would never think of what to do in those situations. And I'm going to use this most recent thing that happened this week as an example of this. So Twitter came out with fleets, right? Their fleeting moments, stories version of Instagram, Snapchat iteration. And you're one of the tweets that you put out with this was a fleet haiku, which is the first fickle fleet. Every little bird wants to tweet a little nest of of code. I read it. I laughed my butt off because I'm like, this is hilarious. Not only because, you know, it's, it's a haiku, but it's one of those things that just doesn't go through my head when I think of like new things like this. So I guess the question to you is how much of you, where's the creativity in your life come from and how does that even, where do you even get the idea of deciding to come up with a Twitter haiku on fleets as a, something that you're going to, you're going to publish out online. I, I mean, it's Twitter in a lot of ways, not in all ways. I mean, I definitely use it to network, use it for business purposes. But one of it, one of the ways I do use it is like for myself, and and that's even how blogging started. Like as a as a just a form of expression, a way to have fun. I, I love hearing the feedback because it's nice to know that people still read words like in the age of TikTok and YouTube and Snapchat, where it's such a visual, I mean, look what we're doing now. It's such a visual medium and um, the world is moving toward, you know, short form video um, and algorithms. So it's nice to know in that world that, that the, you know, the written word can still evoke something, but I I don't know where the, I I think the create for me, the creativity, probably was always there. I, um, I remember, um, when I was, uh, in college deciding to actually like go to a design school and like actually put whatever creative talent I had to use professionally. And I'm really fortunate because that's why I started my career. I started as a visual designer and then a creative director, uh, and then it turned into strategy. And then through that, I was always like learning the ways of business, and then business became a, a part of it. So I just, for me, a lot of it's natural. A lot of it's just sort of keep that muscle, that sort of, you know, creative muscle. I don't take myself too seriously. So the Twitter haiku is just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just part of my personality. I just don't take myself too seriously. That's good. And, um, no one of us should take ourselves too seriously because in today, maybe more in today's age than anything else, I think we just need to be humble about what's kind of going on in the world. But, but to be, you know, creative, I think is, I, I always find creativity as, as an inspiration for um, just, just doing something different, right? We're so stuck in our norms and to get something that can be creative and, and explore that, whether it's through Twitter or through, music, which we'll talk about a little bit and some other kind of avenues. Um, creativity, I think is a big part of our lives and, and should be no matter you know where our, our foundation kind of comes from. Um, well, I'm a big advocate of creativity. I, I always have been. And, you know, one of the, 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 the misnomers about being, uh, I think, I think if strategists are really honest there, it's a different type of creativity, which, which actually for me, I probably always have been, or at least in my professional life, because while I started off as a visual or as a graphic designer, there was always some structure to that. And then even evolving as a creative director, I wasn't like an advertising creative director where I was like 
writing ads. I, w- I was a, more of a, um, a creative director who started with like website design and then user experience. So there was always um, um, a functionality factor that went sort of along with the creativity more so than kind of like the stereotypical creativity that most people think of where you're just out there and everything's loud and colorful and, you know, um, you're a a personality and, or maybe even like a little unstable or unpredictable. That's not, that's not the type of creativity that, that sort of, um, I relate to. No, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. So let's let's talk about the the background. You said visual and web, which I have visual. Like, well, I have web background. Um, did a lot of work in web, not sort of web design, but I you know managed some big websites for, for some previous companies I worked with. Um, but as we get into kind of like user experience, creativity, customer experience, those are all you know things that are kind of intertwined together. I was doing a little research before before you know talk about the podcast, and so I'm going to bring up something from the past. A little farther in the past, but but I, I find it fascinating because I wonder. Well, I think there's some some truth to it still today. So, in 2013, you published a slide share, which I found called "The Lines of Blurred." Blurred. Uh, we're all marketers now, which are 100 true. Everyone's a marketer in their organization because everyone has some responsibility for some level of customer experience. Well, influence a marketer marketing, right? That that was basically the precursor when just like you're doing with podcasts when some of us were sort of basically publishing, which was the precursor to influencer marketing. That was sort of my, my head went there, which is, well, everybody's basically now just a marketer, they're marketing themselves by doing self publishing. And now look at where the world is. I mean, influencing influence marketing is um, it's basically now just like part of the future of advertising and the dollars continue to flow there. Absolutely, because well, one everyone's an influencer. I mean, I think there's a there's a level of influencer marketing that there's always going to be the the ones that have the biggest follower base, or maybe the one that's got the niche follower base, right? We don't think the biggest ones that are out. No one wants to be the next. You don't have to be the next Kardashian to be an influencer. There's influencers at every level, and the reality is we're all influencers in our own. There's influencers in all of our lives today. Because you think about when you have a problem, who do you want to go ask? Do you want to go ask who's the most person you first think of when you have a problem you want to go to? That's an influencer on on yourself. But when it comes to big brands, they certainly want to find the ones going to have the right alignment to. It's like the spokesperson, right? It's the new spokesperson for yeah. for brands today in many cases. Totally. But uh, one of the things you talked about in that that kind of slide share was about the bright shiny objects mm-hmm. um, and how you know all marketers are going to bright shiny objects, whether you want to call it influencer marketing or you know short form video. As a marketers today, have we really changed that? That's, 20, that's 2013. That's seven years ago. Like, are we still in the bright, shiny object phase of the world as marketers? Um, that's a good question. I think yes and no. So I think um, yes in the sense that many marketers are – I think that marketers still look for shortcuts, and so, you know, it, ne- it always happens. It's like every couple of months, something breaks through, and then every marketer goes, "I want one of those." So, the, so one of the more recent ones was the—I forgot the gentleman's name—but the um, you know the ocean spray guy, right? Oh, right, the guy with the, the, was on the what the one wheel riding down the road yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah, and so you know, you see, what's interesting is you see marketers trying to jump on the bandwagon, and and. Um, 
it was fun. It was fun to see, like when you become an old phone game marketing, which is is what I am. You just see the patterns repeat themselves. So all the all the the next wave of marketers, you know, the 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 up and coming marketers are all like, Ocean Spray has to do something, and I'm like. I've seen this before and like that, like that's, that's not really right. And the funny thing that there was such a great story behind that because um, what happened was that gentleman's car broke down and then he was like, on it, see, you don't even know that, right? I've read a story about it over the weekend. And after I had read it on Monday, the day after I read the story, I tweeted out to Ford and this is before actually um, Ocean Spray, the CEO, went and surprised the guy with a car. This is about two days before that. And I tweeted out to Ford. I'm like, hey, this guy could use a car. And sure, like, sure enough, what was happening while like people in the echo chamber were saying, like, brands have to like, yeah, like Ocean Spray should do something. Well, Ocean Spray was. And, and you'll appreciate this working communications. Like they were working with their CEO and they they were absolutely right. They recognized that we're at a moment in time where one of the reasons why people related to that guy was like, you know, the story was so compelling and the guy's just being super chill at at the most stressed out time probably in modern history. Right. And it was like just so refreshing to see that. And then if you knew his backstory, it makes it even more compelling. So clearly they, they did their homework and, um, I think they realized appropriately so that we're living in an age uh, where a lot of people are just living pay- paycheck to paycheck. And that was that guy's story. And then they decided to do something about it. So rather than, you know, just turning it into a moment, they actually, they did that, you know, it was smart, like PR, it was oh, yeah. smart marketing, but they also got the guy a vehicle and helped him out. And that was the absolute right. And it was funny to watch the marketing community, like be shocked that that you know they actually responded that way and i was like no that was the exact right response and this is why i tweeted for it i was like you should you should look into this because this guy actually needs a car and that would be the right thing to do it'd be a great thing to do if you want to try to do something um worth doing and in the process maybe you know have a little halo for your brand that's that's the right way to do it yeah absolutely and you know the fact that I never heard the story that his car broke down, I just heard, saw that everyone started to pick up on this whole guy with ocean spray, with the fun, you know, music in the background. I, I think it's a, uh, there's a Stevie Nicks. Sweetwood Max. So, you know, and, and clearly people got in, encouraged and invigorated by that. But the fact that there's a whole backstory behind it, which I should have known, but, um, but didn't that, and that Ford did something about that. I mean, did Ford get recognized? I mean, did people recognize that Ford jumped in and did something with that? No, they, well, they didn't. I was actually tweeting to them that they should. So what happened was, was the CEO of Ocean Spray. Ocean Spray, okay. And probably his communications team, you know, in a couple of days, basically came down, paid a visit to the guy, surprised him with a new vehicle full of Ocean Spray in the back, Got you it. know, and then, and then made hay with it and as they should. And the guy was genuinely happy and just got a car out of it. And obviously right. now he has been in commercials, I think. And right. I mean, right. It's like the, you take the, yeah. the flash in the pan and you, you take your 15 minutes of fame when you can get it for sure. Yeah. And good for him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in that slide share, you also talked about defeating how to defeat the 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 shiny object syndrome and and this is the part that i wanted to kind of get to which is i think is still very relevant today which is um to beat the the remedy for the shiny object syndrome is empathy understanding and awareness i i don't know of any other three words this is written in 2007 and this is now 2020 um this is just an area that i think 
those are three words that are still so relevant today in marketing and so relevant today in business. Would you agree with that? I do. And so um, professional update, uh, and, and I'm not really broadly announcing it, but I'll share it on here. I'm doing some work with a startup called Suzy. And right. the, the thing yeah. about, right. So the cool thing about that. So with Suzy is it, it's a, it's a software platform where you can do, um, so if you're a marketer, if you're a, a consumer research, a professional, if you're a researcher, if you're working the R and D uh, group in a company, you can very quickly do, um, quantitative or qualitative research with and with the community through this software. And it's very rapid and it's very real time. And so um, you can basically just get a better understanding of your consumer. You can target, like, so you can say, I, you know, I want to talk to moms of two kids who live in this area with this income and, um, you know, uh, go shopping twice a week and have a dog and a cat. Like you can get that specific. And so what's, What's cool about that, the reason why I bring that up, so I'm, I'm basically working with them uh, on a contract basis as an interim CMO, but what got me excited to want to work with them is that um, it, it's in the pursuit of, of, of what they talk about as human understanding, which is exactly those three things, right? It is you develop empathy when you have a better understanding of your consumer. So I think the importance of really understanding your your consumer at a human level is more important than ever and you know i used to think that you could get that through social media and i don't believe that anymore because of social media no i don't because as social media has matured everyone's got an agenda um everyone's an activist and you're not getting actually you're not getting uh representation of, of your sort of everyday consumer you're getting the loudest um, opinions out there. And so they're not accurate, right? I mean, look at politics and how politics, look at, look at social media and politics and then, and then look at election results. Um, I think that, that proper research where you use research methods and Susie's just a platform that happens to be an updated version of that is the way to go. Plus, um, behavioral things like, like honestly, probably one of the best data sources in the world is Google, but no one's getting to that data besides Google. So, <laughs> so basically, I think you've got information. Hold on. Let me, let me pull up an API on that. Just completely undermine our completely ad platform yeah. while we're doing it, too. So. so I think you have, like, basically, you have anthropology, you have Google, and then you have consumer research or you have research. And those are the three tools that you have to get that, you know, that level of empathy and understanding. And that's that's. Uh, first of all, I think that the Suzy platform sounds amazing. I have not personally used it, but um, anything that, you know, is disrupting kind of the old school guard. I think it's still, yeah. it's still, you know, it's the, the world of MarTech these days. I mean, just to kind of take a, a step aside from, from the kind of empathy kind of conversation, but I mean, disruption is happening all over the place, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I'm have- really excited. That's exactly what they're doing. And I, I, I'd known Matt Britton, who's the founder for years. I mean, he was an, an agency player and then he obviously made the switch over and um, you and I were talking about South by Southwest. Like, so that's where he demoed it to me years ago. And I thought, I've always thought he's brilliant. And I thought his pivot to this model was brilliant. But when he showed me the software, I was like, okay, this seems a little partially built at this point, which it was, this is years right. ago. Sure. And, and when we had talked recently and he showed it to me, I was like, oh, okay. Like I was blown away. He yeah. had, he had taken that vision and it was, really being built out properly and um there's so much potential in the space i think you know 
software, software as a service, the idea of reinventing these monolithic beholden enterprise solutions into to more nimble, cloud ready, cloud first, you know, just agile solutions is it's um I mean there's a reason why the Martech five thousand is really eight thousand companies on it, you know, um, and and why there's new ones popping up every day and why ones are getting acquired. I mean shoot the most recent one that you know of acquisition of just stuff in general at Adobe dropped at one point is dropping 1.5 billion for you know work front you know and you and i we met you know we know each other from a lot of places but you know we were both part of the adobe insider program a number of years ago um where they've you know dropped you know 4.5 billion for like marketo and another yeah. 5 billion for magento and i mean anything adobe buys apparently is a billion next to it um but you know that was one of their gaps is the workflow comp- you know perspective and so they're buying things up but um, but really, you know, the Martech space is just crazy right now. I mean, it's it's just expanding, contrasting, um, and you know, companies need that type of stuff to keep them agile. Because yep. when you have big ones, the big companies that can't move at the speed of light, they move at the speed of an aircraft carrier that takes 150 miles to turn left. You know, they're going to get beat out if they're not getting agile with those types of solutions that are out there. Yep. Yeah, and I also like, I mean, I don't know exactly when I landed on your radar, but I had spent a short amount of time um, at, it was at the time, Dotch's group, which was uh, Jeff Dotch's, who's one of the co-founders of Razorfish. Yep. He had started up a business, and I was there for about eight months, and I decided it wasn't for me. And um, one of the things I thought was interesting, one of the things that I learned was he, he um, and that team weren't fully committed to is it software or is it service or is it some combination and i and i like what matt has done to like very cleanly at least start with the software as like the thing right and if it does pick on other things like that's always going to be the core um and really that is like the mod like the model is very clear and the right. space very clear it's a very like you know defined space that is ripe for disruption it's a very clear offering and so to me that's that's a compelling value proposition and the customers love it i mean they're working with very large very large organizations and they go direct to those you know to those companies you know the monolises of the world and and you know um microsoft and you name it and there's something to be said about simplicity customer focused software and services and solutions that are out there. Those that understand their customers at their core or know who they're trying to go after and make the solution focused on them versus something they think is out there. And it's not, you know, um, they're doing it for themselves, maybe for them for what the, the challenge really is, or they kind of lose their way along the way. Those are the companies that the ones that are focused on the customer, are the ones that are winning at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Uh, the focus on is focused on what is going to make the customer happy. What's going to well, and you can't make every customer happy, but certainly the ones that are you know with the customer first in mind. That's important to have in mm-hmm. in 2020, 2021. Um, not a new concept, but it's amazing at how many companies will produce su- product, product services or you know solutions that maybe I'll call it revenue first versus customer first. Mm-hmm. the way that they can is well, we're going to make some more money doing that and it's like but is that what the customer wants or needs or are you just trying to squeeze us for more right revenue at the end of the day and i can i can look at you anyone you know in mountain view <laughs> you know at that you know at that perspective you know today today's age you know from that person from that um 
Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get down to you a question here. You know, brass tacks. What the hell's going on in social media these days? Like, are these platforms anywhere near what we think they can and should be? Is the attention for brand the brand's attention to want to use them and create engagement? Is it just out this? No one knows what the hell they're doing, or everyone knows what the hell they're doing, or it's everything in between. Well, I mean, we could we can dedicate three three shows to this topic. <laughs> I'm sure, it, but look, um, I was actually I was happy to see that the social dilemma on Netflix was made, and as someone who understands marketing, as someone who understands communications, as someone who understands how to tell a compelling story, even if it's manipulative, which that Netflix special was. It was actually the television uh, equivalent of what social media yeah. does, like that with the algorithm. But I, I felt I, I was like good because it needed to be put out there because I, I, I think that um, that uh, there are so many, um, you know, un, so many unintended consequences of social media have come to pass. I am not of, of the school of like. I'm still on Facebook, but having two boys that are Gen Z and that are uh, 18 and 20, and for the past six or seven years, I've been drilling into their heads that they've got to be vigilant with, um, you know, basically keeping their sanity as they engage in a social media world. I mean, I, I, I am on the front lines as a parent of older teens, and you, I think you have younger kids, so you're going to be there in a few yeah. years. Oh, I'm, I'm dreading the day when... Um well, I, I fight a little bit, not fight. I mean, it's there's a little bit that goes on now with, you know, hey, can I, like, we have VR. My, my older son's big into to VR, and he's, you know, like, hey, can I get, like, this, you know, this app um, that, uh, this this app that lets you, it's called Rec Room. I'm like, okay, so what does it do? It's like, well, it lets you engage with other people. I'm like, well, you don't have any other friends that have VR, so who are you going to engage with? Who are you going to talk to? He's like, well, I don't I don't know. I'm like, yeah, see, that's a little bit of, we didn't talk through that, <laughs> you yeah. know? yeah. Uh, it, 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 gets, it just it only gets worse. Yeah. So I was glad to, I was glad to see Netflix in with almost like in a propaganda like way because sometimes you have to fight fire with fire. I think that that ultimately, even though it was overly dramatized, that it was it, there was truth because again I see it you know up close and personal. I mean, I my younger son has to periodically uninstall apps because he, to his credit, and hopefully it's related to my parental coaching, he realizes it's not good for him. But honestly, every time he does something like that, Fred, I think about the teen that, that, that doesn't, that just doesn't have the wherewithal to even understand how bad it is for them. And they just go deeper and deeper and deeper. And, um, you know, that's just one slice of it. We haven't even gotten into like, you know, the political aspect or the things that that go out in other countries where like, people get incited. I mean, so um, it, it's the, the social media and big tech are the, are the most powerful advancements in technology. And so we're getting all the bad that comes with the good. They're just, you know, we've never seen anything like this. We haven't. And I find myself more um, one got to be really clear with my kids. What, what is right? What's wrong? Like, you know, we probably would say like, Luckily, my my older son is now thirteen. Isn't coming and said like, "Hey, I want to get on Facebook." Like he he knows like thirteen is like the threshold to get like legally on on these apps, which we know a lot of his friends 
people we know aren't, you know, they're letting their kids get on stuff way before they're technically supposed to. Um, and, and luckily hasn't said anything, but like my wife and I are just, you know, we need to be, like you said, vigilant, like how, like, what is this going to do? And we even see the impact in our lives. You know, it's, um, I have to do, I use, um, I'm pretty good at setting limits on the apps that I tend to scroll through the most. Um, I use the, um, I use the digital well-being component, right? Where I limit, like I only get 45 minutes on Facebook a day on my phone. I only get, you know, an hour on Twitter. I only get an hour on LinkedIn and I, I do limits, you know, YouTube and I, I will Instagram, like I will set those limits. No, there's days I can over, I'll override it, you know, because I got into new stories on, you know, whatever day. Um, But it's important for me to like have that app, gray out where it's like you can't get back on this thing for the infinite scroll and you can't get now you know you just go to the next one you probably but you know the point being is that at least i'm consciously trying to decide how much i want my life to, to so be there look at what you just talked about look at all the safeguards you place you are you're a grown adult right <laughs> so think about like like someone who's like their mind is being formed and they're exposed to all that and by the way it's it's more potent like you're a grown adult trying to limit your time on facebook meanwhile tiktok is out there which is like you know if facebook is alcohol like tiktok is like you know crack cocaine right, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, you know True. in terms of the potency of the algorithm and the type of the content that's out there so it it's tough. I mean, um, and I get it. I'm sure there, I'm sure like I'm not on TikTok, and I'm sure there's amazing content that would probably make me laugh and cry. Yep. But I made a conscious decision that like, look, like I, I can't spend my whole life consuming content. And one thing that I feel like is happening in society, like across all levels is that moderation is just going away. Like you're either an extreme consumer or you're an extreme creator. Even if you have, even if you're a creator that hasn't like made the big bucks yet, like, you know, you've seen this to go back to the point of, of, you know, influencer marketing, you have so many people out there that their aspiration is to be a creator and they're, they're yeah. just creating. They're just creating that content. They're obsessing over the likes and the links and the follows and the audiences that they're creating and like, you know, what, what they can get, uh, you know, potentially as a full-time creator. So they're just obsessively creating. Then you've got people obsessively consuming. And so where's the in-between those two things? Yeah, no. And it's, it's the in-between is you have to make a conscious decision of what you're going to do because the apps are going to do it for you. Right. Your phone's not going to do it for you. Yeah. Parents are going to do it for you. <laughs> you know, like you have to make the conscious decision that you're going to do it for yourself. And you're right. Like, I can spend my time scrolling through my feed or I can spend time writing a blog post or recording a podcast or doing yeah. an interview or, or, you know, going into my garage and, you know, crafting something in my, you know, woodworking or whatever, you know, kind of the other stuff or going for a run or exercising. Like there's, everything's about choices, right? I was 168 hours in a week. How are you going to, how are you going to use it? You, know, you have X amount of time sleeping, eating, yeah. commuting, whatever, like, go through and I made my kids go through the exercise. Like how, how, how long are you on Xbox on any given day? How long are you on your phone any given day? Okay. Now multiply it times seven. And in fact, on weekends, double what you're saying, because that's what it probably is. And again, you know, anyone could say parenting like, Hey, don't let your kids be on Xbox that long or on their phones. Okay. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast, but making them consciously under like, write it down. Like how are you spending your time? Yeah. Totally. And, you know, like the thing about 
a lot of this technology that makes it so difficult is that it's been the speed. Like we've had basically barely a decade to adapt to this. Yep. You know, this specifically. So take fast food, for example, where like um, portions in the 70s were um, probably less than half the size than they are today. But that was the 70s. So we had, we all, we had almost half a century to basically adapt to the fact that like right. okay, this is the reality now and like you got to moderate that. Otherwise, yep. you can have all kinds of problems. We had we had all those years, and it was and it happened gradually. So it didn't re- it, like it, in one way it snuck up on us, but in the other way we kind of knew it was happening. And so like we had time to be like, that's going to be a splurge. You can't eat like that all the time, you know. And right. you got to be careful. But but we didn't have we didn't have that luxury with technology. It was like. Okay. No, it was here. It was here. It accelerates. It's, you know, we as marketers know how fast that pace comes into play. And and more importantly, the the influences that, that come off of it. I mean, you mentioned earlier, and, and we certainly know all the creepy shit on the internet. We know how it works. We know the how the the algorithms are are punching people into that. And they're 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 purposely not letting consumers get um, be aware, right? They're caught off guard for a reason because it's the attention that we all crave. It's the the next lead. It's the next customer. It's the next sale that we're trying to get. Is why marketers are, you know, it's a very interesting time for marketing at the moment. I, I think the, you know, we've seen more in the last five years. We've seen in the last seventy five years. I mean, we really have. I mean, it used yeah. to be the yellow pages and a commercial on two five or seven, and you know, maybe a magazine ad. And, you know, the fact that like, I literally, you know, I was sitting in COVID and sitting at home looking, you know, I'm going to go look at standing desks. And then every social platform I have, every third post is about standing desks from some standing desk company. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know how that works. I know all the beacons that are out there and all the ad, you know, technology that ad tech that's out there. But a lot of consumers, they get, they get freaked out by that. It's like, how do, how do I say something in a conversation? My phone picks it up and then it, and then it moves through. I'm like, well, one, you probably downloaded an app for free that you don't realize what it's actually really doing. So you clicked accept, 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 you know, and then there's the, how it actually works because that's how they make money. They sell your data and they make mm-hmm. all that happen. And, and you're, you're saying, yes, go ahead, use my mic, have access to my contacts. Why in the world does Candy Crush need access to your contacts? <laughs> like, why do they need access to your phone? Why do they need access to your microphone? I'm not saying that Candy Crush does, but you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. you just, because everyone's in this, if it's free, then it's okay there's nothing that's ever free. You are being sold time and time again by free. Yeah. Marketers have gotten um, dreadfully efficient <laughs> on the digital side. <laughs> Great way of describing it. Dreadfully efficient. That is for <laughs> sure. Um, for sure. Okay. Let's, let's shift into, into something else. So outside of work, you have a number of passions. Um, one, I know you ride a motorcycle. Is it is Indian motorcycle? Is that, is that right? Or what's your brand? But um, I, I'm, I, I, I don't take offense that you think it's an Indian because it's a it's a a Road King classic and it's a very kind of like old school looking motorcycle which I've always been partial to. So that's that's all good. And um, I've, I've ridden for a long time. I think I've, I've almost twenty years now. And luckily, all safe. You know, thankfully. Um, I, so I do that's love good. That. That's a great stress reliever. Um, it's uh, it's interesting how it's so it's so less culturally relevant. Like Harley's struggling, and 
um, the the young generation now. Apparently, they're, they said the motorcycle they're going to go electric bikes with that new the new was it S one or whatever it's called. These I forget who they're they're pairing mm-hmm. up with, but that well that show on HBO with Ewan McGregor that I haven't seen yet is brilliant and and at least an effort at least an effort to that's the type of thing that a brand like that really like they have got to. Um, infiltrate culture to just change people's attitudes. I, I don't know. I mean, like it could, it could come back. It's hard to say. It seemed to me, it seems like um, motorcycling gave people a sense of, of freedom that I think, you know, is like largely replaced by a lot of the technologies. <laughs> today. I think, yeah. I think people feel like that they have their freedom through digital experiences. And so why do you need to be out in the elements? Um, but, um, uh, and there's, there's other reasons, but, uh, yeah, that's one of the things I like to do. I like to spend time outdoors. I try to hike. Um, I used to enjoy going to the gym, but that's been kind of challenging. <laughs> I've been trying true. to life, like life without a gym. And I did, I, I started the whole Peloton thing, which is a pretty great experience. I have to say, really, um, Oh, yeah. I'm not a Peloton rider. I know a lot of friends that have it. They they swear by it. Um, you know, I was an Orange Theory guy for a while, and the the gyms are still open. But I have I've decided I'm not I'm not going back yeah. to the, the right. moment. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly. I mean, we have equipment in our house that you know, treadmill and, and some other stuff in the basement. But um, but the Peloton thing. I mean, it's is it what is it for you? Is it the live experience that you can join a live class, or is it? What is the hook for you with Peloton? I'm curious. Okay, so what got me is definitely not someone who ever saw getting into, and I'm not super, super into it, but I found I find the leaderboard, which is funny because they try to discourage you. Like I compete with people in the leaderboard. So I, I'm probably not the best representative of like <laughs> what Peloton is supposed to be, but it's motivating to me. It's like, sure. that's the thing. I'm like, it's who gamification like anything else? It's right. That's the thing. Like yeah. you want to have that motivation. Gamification is well, easy to do. They never want to get caught <laughs> saying it. So yeah, I compete with people on the leaderboard and I, I like it when I can like, you know, I see somebody and I catch up to them and if I can pass them, like it's, it, it's, and it's an interaction and I don't feel like I'm doing it alone and people will high five you and you high five them back. And so that part of it, I think is pretty compelling. I haven't done the live, which is actually probably that intensified because, um, um, what you can do is you can do a recorded one and then okay. two versions of a leaderboard. One is an all time. So it's basically like, you can see how you're, how you're ranking up with anybody who's ever taken that ride. The right. other is there might be, um, 20 or 30 or 40 people doing that ride with you, even though it's pre-recorded. And okay. so that's, that's the thing that I go for. I'm like, Oh, how many people are in this ride? Oh, there's 20 people. And then I right. want to see if I can compete with them. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. Yeah. If it's so, 20 versus 100, you know, maybe it's a little easier to think about competing, you know, versus like uh, the masses that are out there, right? So I, I actually would like, you have better odds if, if there's more, but I haven't had the foresight. I'm more of an on-demand person. I think if you're a scheduled person, you're like, you're like I'm going to be in a live class. I actually right. think that the live, even though I haven't done it yet, is probably that intensified because it's the live classes are hundreds of people. Yeah, and I know people who like specific trainers. They're like, I like... Carly, I don't know. I'm just making it up, right? But they're you know, or, or Jim or whoever. Like they, they like their intensity. It's like they're the personal trainer coach, right? You the ones you like, yeah, because they're in your face. There's some that are more aggressive. There's some that are more like inspire, inspiring. You know that type of stuff. Um, there's definitely I know some friends that are like, oh yeah, did you join? You know, 
if you do the spinning thing, the way you just described it is like like they would want to go for like certain classes, certain instructors. For me, it's like I I go like genre of music, the the time frame. Like, do I want a twenty minute? Do I want a thirty minute? Do I want a forty five? What, what can I handle today? What do I have time for? And then. Um, and, and how many people are in that session? Like, can I try to get a session where there's 20 or, 20 or 30 people actually in it? So it's going to be interesting. Right. Versus I'm just sitting there cranking it out. Yep. Yeah. And getting, and getting no feedback, really. Right. Yeah. That's kind of how, like, I go on the treadmill, I'm like, uh, you know, or I yeah. go outside, or, you know, I, they're definitely like, I've explored, um, rowing machines and it's like do you get the ones where it's like the live classes or do you get the one where it's got programs where you can still get the leaderboard and some of the other kind of inspiration yeah. from it i don't know what to do so you it's know. hard even with the, i gotta say even with the leaderboard like it, it is so hard when you're in the same space i get up on like this today is this going to be the morning nope yeah <laughs> and then what happens is the day ends and then i'm like okay i have the window before dinner right and it's like 50 50 for me it's like like or maybe more than 50 50 but like a lot of the time i'm like uh and then a good a good amount of the time i'm like nope like tonight tonight i just did it i was like yeah i'm throwing a hat on i don't care if i'm yeah you know i'm like everybody's yeah. casual on, on camera these days so i'm just gonna get my work very out. true i i didn't i didn't request a dress code for this one i'm <laughs> so um the other thing you're into is music because i've seen you you know post a couple riffs and stuff on on twitter and others so you have a is it it's Gretsch, right? You have a Gretsch guitar. I do. Besides, I, I have fooled people. I have fooled people into thinking that I can play. When in well, reality, I have. I have my ladies over here in the corner. I got an acoustic electric uh, and two electric guitars. So, and I'm, I'm an eight twenty year self taught yep. guy that knows about like three songs that, but just likes to. But I, I like guitar. I mean, I've yeah. I played phone in a past life and, and stuff, but the guitar is just it's the, it's the musician's instrument at the end of the day. Right. So I think so. It, it is so sad to see that like, um, rock is definitely dying. Maybe it'll come back, but, uh, well, just- we'll get to that in a second. I, I, you know, you and I tweeted about back and forth when we were getting ready for this podcast, but yes, rock is dying. That is true. It's sad. Yeah, um, it is. Sad. I mean, it really like, and there's, there's some interesting rock out there that's under the radar that you might like every once in a while I hear a band. I'm like, Ooh, but, but they never, they never continue past, you know, one song maybe. Right. Um, or they're never going to be more than the opening band. Right. They're not going to get to the big, the big leagues. There's a, there's a band. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're local here in Chicago. You and I are both here in Chicagoland area. Yep. So, um, Hailstorm, you heard of them? No, I haven't heard of Hailstorm. So they opened up for Alice Cooper. So that's, that's I, they're, but they're a younger band, but they opened up for Alice Cooper. I saw them last year. Um, Check them out when it comes to rock and heavy and they have an amazing lead singer. Her name is Lizzie Hale. Um, her and her brother started the band, but it's L Z Z Y. So don't drop yeah. the there, but um, fantastic. I think right up your alley. Like if you're into the, the, the rock definitely recommend checking out. Okay. okay Hailstorm. The last uh, concert I saw and had I known it was going to be the last concert before, you know, pan, pan, pandemic Palooza. Um, was uh social distortion which is probably like in my top three favorite rock bands and uh it was it was um at the theater that's right off the lake i forget the name of it um and it was awesome it was a great show and i was like 
when, and it's funny, I was thinking about it, like when the pandemic started ramping up, I was like, oh man, I don't know when I'll see a show again. And right. I thought, last show that I saw, oh, Social Distortion. And I, I, I at least felt good that I saw one of my favorite bands live before like, the world yep. turned inside out. Yeah. So, all right, so here's what we're going to do. What I try and do on these podcasts is uh, towards the end, which I think we're, you know, had a great, great conversation, but um, I want to do a speed round with you, which is going to be all about music. So this, yeah. about this or that. Okay, so we'll, and we'll see what stories come out of it. Okay, okay. so speed round and i wish i had some great sound effect for it but i don't so speed round here we go les paul or stratocaster even though i know you have a grudge les paul okay i have a stratocaster so and i have an epiphone les paul knockoff so i kind of have both but um and, and les paul mainly because i think it looks cool <laughs> but they're heavy guitars that is like i don't know if you've ever held one but like it is they have character i mean so i'm going off of uh, that's that it that matches my aesthetic but I, I like the les paul sound too yeah um okay acdc or metallica <sighs> uh, yeah what's that that's a hard choice i know i know i i tried i, I dug a little deep on these you know, but I'm also guessing really hard. I mean, by a super slim margin, I might have to go ACDC purely from, I think I can get, I think there's volume there that I could get into more. Like Metallica, at the end of the day, it's going to probably be a couple of albums. Yeah. And then, and there's, I like some of the older Metallica. I like just I actually like all the older Metallica. It's the newer stuff that I can't quite get into. Yeah, like when they, when they got, um, I mean, like Ride the Lightning, and then you know Justice for All, and then once they got after they got they got into the harder rock. Like ironically, they had it was weird. Like they 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 were like speed metal, yep. Early on, then it was like this uh, more melodic metal, which is the time like the you know basically the eighties, the early eighties, right? And they, and they kind of got into like more of like a hard rock, I, you know, which is the same genre as ACDC, ironically. But I didn't like when Metallica did that genre. Right. <laughs> I didn't like it. Yeah. I, I, so, so ACDC dropped a new album on Friday. Have you listened to it yet? No, that's right. I heard about it though. Okay. Gotta get that listen. So it's, so I'm not doing a spoil. I've been listening to it. I thought maybe you had, so we would talk about, but that's all right. Um, it is, I will, the only thing I'll say from a review standpoint is that it has ACDC sound. I don't know if I've heard the track that you know you think you get out of you know use of the one or two that are like the yeah. tracks that come out of you know i don't i haven't heard i don't know if i've heard the track yet okay but it is it is it's good i mean i'm glad to hear i forget the lead singer why i'm horrible it's the lead singer's name of acdc um that they came back to to sing this one but um it, it's it's an acdc album which is what exactly what we need right now if there's anything in 2020 that we need we need an acdc giving it a lesson for sure that sounds like acdc yeah um okay jimmy hendrix or eddie van halen oh definitely hendrix okay follow-up jimmy hendrix or stevie ray vaughn i do like stevie ray stevie's good uh that's so tough I might say Stevie Ray because I just I just listened to a song recently and um and he was just so good and he just had as good as Hendrix is 
when you listen to Hendrix, it's very dated. And like, for some reason you listen to Stevie Ray and it feels fresher. And and, and, yeah, it feels timeless. And I think I tend to like that a little bit more than like, you really feel like, like, like Hendrix was a groundbreaker and absolutely like, and sounds like psychedelic, like sounds like the psychedelic genre that he created, but it's very specific. And Stevie Ray could evoke some, uh, he's covered Hendrix and it sounds amazing. Yeah. Voodoo child. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, here's a good example, like Voodoo child, like Stevie Ray's version of Voodoo child. I mean, this is probably heresy, but it's better than Hendrix's version of Voodoo child. (laughs) Damn, you're close. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's probably heresy. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, all right, a couple more. Lyas or clubs? Wait, what was the first one? So being seeing a show in a live live in an arena or live in a club? Oh, club. I mean, look I, at what I'm wearing. CBGB. Yeah, <laughs> I saw Social Distortion here. Oh, so I got a cool story because I got my kids into them for a hot minute when they were like impressionable. And then, you know, uh, you'll also experience this when you, your kids get older. But um, so I saw social distortion at CBGB in New York and I was going to Pratt and um, amazing, amazing show. It was like they were like really becoming a thing and the show was amazing. And it was CBGB. So I've taken my boys to see them actually on the West Coast. And they, 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 like I said, they got it to for a hot minute. So I was looking up videos on, on YouTube and I found them playing at CBGB. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, is this a wonder? Like if they played a few shows there, I'm like, this can't be the show that I saw. And was then, it? oh yeah, I found myself in the audience. I found the <laughs> college. Oh yeah. Cause it was that small. So it's a club. Right. It's tiny. And right. I was, I've never been, but yes, it was tiny, so small. And I was like the third person away from the stage and like, like right where there was a mosh pit and yeah. then there were like a few people compressed, pressed up to the stage. And I was right there. I remember what I was wearing and I, and I, I, I took a screen grab of it and I showed my, my voice. I'm like, that's me. There you go. All right. Two more. Yeah. There you go. Two more. Okay. Best city to see a live performance in. Are we talking club or arena? Club. New York, probably. Okay. All right. Um, if there's one artist you can meet, who would it be? Oh, man, that is so hard. I know. I, it, it, it is a hard question for anyone who's a music fan, for sure, right? But oh, one artist that I could meet. There's the guy that you're sitting, you're sitting at a bar at the club show comes up and it's like, you turn your head to the left. And you're like, Holy shit. There's, I mean, so I might as well go with the theme and just say Mike Ness from social distortion just to be consistent, but probably it's probably true. That All right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, or maybe Mick Jagger. So that was going to ask a question of stones or the Beatles. <laughs> oh, Stones hands down. Never, I I I feel bad for not appreciating the Beatles because they're so historic. And but I, I never, I yeah. There's there's songs that I appreciated the Beatles, but at the end of the day, I'm a Stones fan. More of a Stones fan. What I realized with my appreciation of rock um, is that it always is more about the raw aspect of rock than 
either an or an experimental pushing the limit. I mean, like ACDC, like you don't get more like just basic, like it's basic really at the end of the day. Right. And the Stones, the Stones in the seventies were like, yeah. you know, where they had the most raw sound was yeah. my favorite time period for them. And you can probably say that for Led Zeppelin too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you tonight. Um, thank you for joining for sure. And for you know, me. yeah, no. And you know, back when maybe pandemic land goes away, cause we're both in Chicago, we should actually meet up for a drink and, and, you know, meet in person. So yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll get past lockdown. We'll make it happen. So that was my conversation with David Armano about a ton of topics from bright, shiny objects to influencer marketing and the impact of social media on our lives and much, much more. That's it. Another episode in the books. Before you leave, if you liked what you heard today, I would love it if you subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date on when I drop new episodes. If you really liked what you heard, I appreciate if you give this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may listen to podcasts and you can drop a review. They really would mean the world to me. Finally, if you want to send me a note, you can share your comments and feedback with me at fred at accordingtofred.com or you can find me on Twitter at accordingtofred. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you on the next one.